Hello, and welcome to the premiere episode of Citizen Kane Minute, the show that celebrates the greatest film of all time, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, Rob Kelly. In 1940, after being shown all the departments at his disposal at RKO Studios, Orson Welles called it the biggest electric train set any boy ever had. Only sparingly released at the time, the film was nevertheless seen for the brilliant cinematic achievement it was, getting nominated for Best Picture, Actor, Director, Screenplay, Cinematography, Art Direction, Sound, Music, and Editing at that year's Academy Awards. It only won for Screenplay, making it the only Oscar Orson Welles would ever receive. Because of its controversial subject matter, Kane was mostly forgotten about by Hollywood as Welles continued his career as an actor and director. It wasn't until the 1950s, when the film was sold to television and rescreened for a new generation of critics, that its reputation as the greatest, most influential film ever made began to take hold. I saw Citizen Kane for the first time as a teenager when my appreciation for movies other than Star Wars had just begun to grow. I had access to a great video store, and I can remember watching Citizen Kane that first time and falling in love with it immediately. It wasn't stodgy or drab. It was weird, funny, daring, a bit confusing, and overall marvelously entertaining. I quickly found it rewarded multiple viewings, and it began my lifelong appreciation for the work of Orson Welles, a figure I only half recognized at the time as that guy from the wine commercials who TV talk show hosts like Johnny Carson and Merv Griffin seemed to revere. Over the years, and thousands of movies later, Citizen Kane still ranks among my favorite films of all time. When the Ritz Theater chain opened a megaplex in our neighborhood in the mid-1990s, they screened old movies for the opening weekend, and I saw Citizen Kane on the big screen three times in two days. As much as for the story itself, it's Wells' sense of enthusiasm for the medium he's working in that is so infectious. He's showing everyone what can be done with a movie camera, and what he has pulled off is still impressive 80 years later. I've often found people's reaction to Citizen Kane to regard like it's homework, something they should see due to some imagined societal pressure, not a movie they want to see. Over time, I think critics repeatedly calling it the greatest has hurt the film a little bit, inadvertently shoving it into a rarefied air that only true cineasts breathe, that is somehow inaccessible to people who just like a good story well told. Of course, anyone who cares to listen to a podcast dissecting a movie five minutes at a time is obviously a mega fan of that movie. But I hope that over the course of the next 24 episodes, we'll all discover lots of jolly new noises and come away loving Citizen Kane even more. Since Citizen Kane is all about different people's views of Citizen Kane the man, I thought it was only appropriate to have different people's views of Citizen Kane the movie. So with each episode, I will be joined by a different guest. I'll be playing the role of Mr. Thompson, talking to film critics, authors, podcasters, and just big fans of the movie and discuss with them their feelings and history with this extraordinary film. 2021 is Citizen Kane's 80th year, so I thought now was the best possible moment to do this show. Fathom Events announced that they will be screening Kane in September as part of TCM's Big Screen Classic series, and if all goes to plan, this podcast will conclude just as Citizen Kane is, once again, lighting up the silver screen. So let's get started. After the break, I will be joined by writer, editor, journalist April Snellings to talk about the first five minutes of Citizen Kane. Stay tuned. It's Fade Out. Hosted by film fanatic Rob Kelly and a roster of special guests, Fade Out will examine the final films of Hollywood's brightest lights. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Faster 
than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Richard, Richard Pryor? Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film, Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman. We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Oh, you don't know about me and him? <laughs> me and Superman? Here it is, number one on the American Film Institute's Greatest American Movies list. Citizen Kate. Jesus, it's black and white. And we're back to discuss the first five minutes of Citizen Kane. And as promised, I am joined by my pal, editor, journalist, writer, April Snellings. Hi, April. Hey, Rob. How's it going? It is great. I am so, so thrilled to be talking with you. You and I have been friends a long time. We've only uh, recorded uh, one time uh, previously when we did our Lost Boys episode for Film yeah, and Water good. Podcast. Yeah. Yep. Um, unfortunately, no no shirtless saxophoning in this movie, yeah. unfortunately, but we'll have to just muddle through. So <laughs> thank you so much for being, uh, being my guest on the first episode of Citizen Kane Minute. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've been looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be a, a fun talk. I'm, I'm excited to hear your insights about the film. Oh, man. Yeah, there's just so much to say about this movie. So uh, before we get into the, the first five minutes of the movie, uh, I got to ask you, like, when did you first see Citizen Kane? I saw it at what might be kind of a bad time to, to first see the film. I saw it in high school. So I was um, certainly too young to appreciate any of the, uh, the, the themes and sort of the, the actual content. The context, though, really landed with me. Um, I'm a professional genre fan, right? And mm-hmm. I kind of um, genre has always been my thing. Like even even as a, a kid and a teenager, um, I really was very specifically interested in genre films. Um, so horror, sci-fi. Uh, but what I was really into in high school was noir. I was so 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 just captivated by uh, by film noir, especially um, Double Indemnity was. Uh, Probably my favorite movie then. I was mm-hmm. kind of obsessed with it. Um, I did not want to watch Citizen Kane. I, I just didn't, you know, I knew what it, it was about. Uh, my mom is a classic film buff, and she had, uh, of course, encouraged me to to watch it and given me a lot of the backstory, particularly the, the, the Hearst connections mm-hmm. and, the, you know, Marion Davies and that weird Charlie Chaplin, maybe possible, you know, connection. <laughs> Um, so, and, and all that stuff. And I kept just hearing from everybody, oh yeah, you've got to watch this movie. And I, I thought it was just kind of a straight drama and I wasn't really all that interested, but I wanted to go to film school. <laughs> so, so I kind of had to just suck it up. And watch. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I watched the film um, and I don't remember, I'm I probably 15, 16. And the first five minutes, I was like, what is this? I yeah. have no idea. This is, you know, it's like a gothic horror film, right? I mean, it, the, the opening, it's like something that, uh, you know, James Whale or Todd Browning would have made. Mm-hmm. And I was, in. I was just hardcore in. And then you get to the, uh, the, the scene in the, you know, in the projection room with the journalists. And it's, it's just oozing noir, right, with, with Tolan's uh, photography there. So, yeah, I was, I was hooked uh, right away. I, I loved it. I was thoroughly entertained by it like just 
absolutely entertained by it. And which actually I watched it last night and I had forgotten how funny it is. You know, I mean, yeah. of course it's a very dark film, but there's, um, there's a lot of, of, of very wry humor there that, uh, that I always, it, it always takes me by surprise whenever I watch it that I laugh a lot. Yeah, you used a word that I'm going to say a lot over the course of the 24 episodes the show's going to run is entertained because yes. this I, and this is something that I mean, it feels weird to say that I have to like stick up for Citizen Kane because that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, as I mentioned in my intro, I know people that like movies, but they don't want to see Citizen Kane because it has been ossified into like the greatest film of all time. And it seems like it's homework. Mm-hmm. And they don't think that it sounds like it's like, oh, I, I have to, like you were just talking about, I have to watch it. And if you go into any movie having to watch it, mm-hmm. you have kind of a chip on your shoulder. Sure. Uh, and you don't realize that it is just so thoroughly entertaining. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think that like art house films or films with some sort of uh, historical resonance can't be entertaining, which is completely, you just mentioned Double Indemnity. That's one mm-hmm. of the great classics of cinema, but it's also a crackling, fun, film noir movie. I mean, exactly. it's, you know, and yeah. it's, it's a shame that movies have, once they become classics, they kind of, some of them, people think, oh, well, they're, it's not, uh, it's something I have to sit through. No, it's just a really good story. So that word that popped, I'm glad that you mentioned it because, yeah, it's just highly entertaining. So when you watched it, how often do you, how often have you watched it over the years? Is it something to you, do you revisit? I mean, I don't know how much, how often do you revisit films in general? Yeah, I don't. Um, it, it's interesting. Like in, in the past year, my life has changed very dramatically. I, we had a, a baby a year ago, so I don't have to watch <laughs> any films now. <laughs> but, you know, there, there, are, there are movies that I watch over and over and over again. Uh, Citizen Kane is not one of them. Um, like I have a very specific kind of go-to batch of movies. Like, right. <laughs> I'm very embarrassed to say it in this context, but um, The Lost Boys, Beetlejuice, all <laughs> 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 <Like> that. <laughs> So Citizen Kane is not one that I watch over and over and over again, but it is one that I, I watch every few years. Um, you know, if it's on, I'll certainly watch it, but um, I do seek it out every few years just because there's every time you watch it, you see things that you didn't see before. And it's a movie that changes as, as you do, you know, Mm -hmm. as, as you age, as you grow older, your appreciation of the movie changes dramatically, I think. So it, it is, um, it becomes, it gets a little darker the older I get. <laughs> <laughs> There's that, that amazing line that, uh, what, what is it? Um, old age is the only disease that no one looks forward to being cured of. <laughs> lands a little bit now. We're years ago. So, you know, things like that. But I just, um, I, I do appreciate it. I think more every time I watch it and as I get a little, uh, a little more experienced, <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah i saw it when i was a teenager as well and yeah i think the there were lines there that i mean like the line about uh it's not in this five minutes but the line that the bernstein has about you know the seeing the woman at the parasol with the parasol oh and, yeah you know, he didn't reach out to her and when you're a teenager lost opportunities are not really a thing you know mm-hmm. you don't think about that and then as you get older you say oh wow yeah okay that has resonance that it didn't have. So that's, and then to me, that's the hallmark of, a, of any great piece of entertainment is that it moves forward with you yes. as you go. You may not discover new things. I can't, I've watched Jaws a thousand times at this point. Oh. I can't say that I'm discovering new things in Jaws, but it right. stays with me as I get older. But Kane, because of its structure, because it's so unique, uh, it does. I keep thinking you find new little things here and there, which is amazing. This thing is 80 years old yeah, and it's still yeah. paying dividends. It's just yeah. remarkable. 
and it's a dense movie. It is, it is, um, it is, you know, the, the texture of it is incredible. So I don't know that you'll ever, like, I don't think we'll ever watch it so many times that, that we don't experience it in a different way or find something new or, you know, see some kind of some, uh, some element that we didn't, didn't see before. Right. Do you think it is the greatest film of all time? Do you think any movie can earn that title? That's such a subjective uh, thing. So, you know, like I can look at it and say, technically, maybe, you know, technically I, I I can't think of another film that is more, um, that, that did more with what it had than, than it does. And and I think you can absolutely make the case that it is the the greatest film of all time. Um, it, it, it is not what, it would not be my personal favorite film. It wouldn't be one of my personal, my top, you know, if, if I, could only watch 10 movies right, for the rest right. of my life. That's not going to be one of the 10 movies probably. Um, but you know, I can't think of a movie that I would say is technically or, 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 or even artistically maybe better than, than Citizen Kane. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's, it's such a subjective thing. Uh, I would admit, like, I, I don't, I put Citizen Kane in like my top 10. I wouldn't say it's my all time favorite movie. And it is not a movie that I watch as much as like I just mentioned Jaws. Jaws is like a fun afternoon movie. Citizen yeah. Kane is not a fun afternoon movie no. that you can just go to put on in the background. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, in terms of, it, to me, it's, it, what it did, what it was able to accomplish in 1941, every other movie is basically borrowing from it in some way. Right. And it's just so massive in its scope in right. terms of what it was able to do that that, yeah, I always feel that it, it does kind of earn that title. But mm-hmm. I would say the greatest, like I kind of make a difference between a movie and film. Movie okay. is more kind of entertaining all around. Not that Citizen Kane is not, we just talked about that. But like mm-hmm. to me, like if somebody said, I think Casablanca is the greatest movie of all time, I'd say, yeah, I think it's probably a fair estimation. The way it looms in the culture, it's so famous. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's more accessible to mm-hmm. probably the average sort of person. But in terms of technical, just every movie is borrowing from Citizen Kane in some mm-hmm. respect. It is. So it's like to me. Uh, and I remember a bunch of years ago when the AFI did their top 100 greatest films of all time. Yeah. And they get to number one and they they had this rapid fire series of clips of every critic. That was in that, and they all just went Kane, 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 and I, you know I love the rhythmic of it. I was like, yes, yes, yeah, that's the movie. So, yeah, I, I would argue that it does earn that title, even though, like I said, I think it becomes a gate that keeps some people out, mm-hmm. uh, which Agreed. is unfortunate uh, because it doesn't it doesn't earn that. I think it's an incredibly fun movie to watch, and I said I'm really looking forward to putting it under the jeweler's loop here for the next bunch of episodes to talk about it. So yeah. specifically. So, okay, let's get to it. Let's talk about the first five minutes of Citizen Kane. Uh, luckily, of course, here in the first five minutes, you get one of the most famous scenes in the history of movies. <laughs> I do. We're going to yeah. get to that in a moment. It opens, of course, with the RKO logo, the RKO radio picture, which is, to me, one of the great title cards mm-hmm. in all of movies. I wish somebody would just buy this. And put it in front of their movies. This this right. antenna tower. Right. The, de, 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 it's just it screams. It's so wonderfully old timey with the little lightning bolts coming out of the top. It's just fantastic. So it's great. It's great, and it gets your attention every time. You know, it yeah. does exactly what it was meant to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just marvel. I would love to like Rocky Horror Picture Show opens with it. You know, it's just such a wonderfully mm-hmm. charming way to open your movie. It so is. we uh, it opens with this uh, pretty pretty ballsy title card, a Mercury production by. Orson Welles. I mean, 
I don't know how you feel about directors that take the a film by credit. I always feel that's a little much. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's one thing to say directed by Steven Spielberg. It's another thing to say a film by because it's like, well, you probably had a couple of hundred people helping you. Right. Uh, I, I, it feels a little possessive. Especially if you're Orson Welles in 1940 and you've got, you know, <laughs> Robert Wise editing your film and you've got Greg Cohen <laughs> shooting your film, then yeah, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that, and that, I will say, this is something that appealed to me at a, at a 16-year-old when I first watched it was the chutzpah. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, look at that. Because, I mean, I'm the, I don't go through life. I think about myself. There's a line from the comedian John Mulaney where he says, he says, I walk around town like I am the, running for the mayor of nothing. And then like that to me is me. I just, I want everybody to like me and be, I'm so worried about that. And here's Orson Welles is like, yeah, it's a film. This is my first film. This is a Mercury production by Orson Welles. It's the first (laughs) credit you see. It just, it's enormously gutsy for him to to do that. But I mean, of course, you know, and then we cut to the title card, no audio, no music, nothing, Mm -hmm. just the letters, Citizen Kane. And again, it's like you, you talked about how, it doesn't, you're already in a, we, in a weird place. This does not feel like a movie in 1941 to have this kind of almost abstract title sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was an art film. This wasn't, still was, you know, very specifically a, 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 an experimental, radical art film. And it still reads as one today, which is, is, is pretty remarkable. Given, given the fact that it has influenced pretty much everything that, that, that came after it. It's, it's impressive to me that, 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 um, that it still reads as a radical movie. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, we've all seen what title cards look like in 1940s movies, and they usually have big music swells under them, and, uh, you know, like a, you have like the, the copyright notice, you know, which even modern filmmakers are now replicating yep. for that old time you feel, but it's just bang. Here's this lettering, Citizen Kane, no music coming up. And then we finally do get some music coming up here. And mm-hmm. we, the first sign we see is no trespassing. Trespassing, uh, yeah. This, this, you know, weathered sign with this ominous music, the Bernard Herman music playing, and yeah. then this pan up over. And, you know, you mentioned this earlier. Yeah, the opening shots of this film uh, really could be from, as you said, a James Whale movie. Mm-hmm. A, a, you know, a universal horror movie or potentially like the coolest Batman movie that was right. never made. Right. And it just, again, it does not feel like a 1940s trauma. It just doesn't, you're already kind of at sea and we're just like, where, what is this? And the yeah. music is eerie. It's just a mar- marvelous opening. It is. It's yeah. I, I certainly can't think like, I think you can, uh, you can parse whether or not it's the greatest film, but I think that you have to give it to, uh, you have to, say that this is the greatest opening right oh, i mean for, or at least the most effective yeah oh it's it's powerful and so the, the the then we get the shot after they pan up over the chain wire fence we have the shot of the giant k uh gate very ornate and it's i love the way it's sort of diagonal on the screen like it doesn't <laughs> we we're, you know the camera angle we're like well where where are we here to say and may, has this thing sort of fallen into the earth a little is it right. is it all cattywampus like what it's very strange at the angle that we're at. And then we see in the background uh, the Xanadu. What we'll find out is Xanadu. And mm-hmm. it's an interesting little detail is that as we get closer and closer to Xanadu, uh, we see that there's only one window lit in the entire right. in this entire cavern, in this castle, this castle Dracula kind of thing here. Mm-hmm. And the light never changes. The position mm-hmm. of the light is in the same place on the screen no matter where we are and then we go through these slow pans 
of uh, of the grounds of city of uh, of Xanadu, and we the, the next shot we see is a cage with some monkeys in it. Yeah, and I'm already feeling bad because I don't think anybody's taking care of these monkeys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's already it's 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 a grim opening. You know, the the thing the of course it's that's just a painting. You know, Xanadu yep. is just just a, a matte painting. It's an amazing matte painting. You know, with a a light you know behind it for the for the um, the bedroom light, which is just to me just a fantastic look like it, it it you know had they built a castle it would not look better than than that amazing kind of surreal you know image that that, that they end up with instead and uh, yeah you're just kind of prowling over the grounds and it's it's eerie it's abandoned it's you know it's creepy yeah you're just like you know, how big is this ground is there is nobody comes to visit this thing anymore i mean yeah. uh so then we get another fade in and we see there is some sort of dock and there's a boat that has been clearly left just gondola, there. Yeah. a gondola that nobody's bothering with. And I love that we've got the reflection of the castle in the water and the castle is exactly the opposite of where it was. So the window is still in the same place. It's mm-hmm. still in the same location, yeah. uh, which is amazing. And then we get another fade in and there is some sort of, I'm assuming that that is a statue of some sort of uh, wild animal because it doesn't, it doesn't move. It mm-hmm. looks like it's like a, a panther or a tiger of some sort, but mm-hmm. I would again assume it's 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 a statue. And again, we're just getting closer and closer to this thing as we're fading in, and then we get another shot of a golf course. Golf course, the, yeah. The three hundred sixty-five yards, and the sign is completely—it's all wood, but it's worn away, and it's mm-hmm. it's listing to a side. So again, we are seeing that this is this wonderful uh, place for for getting together and frolicking has just been completely abandoned and forgotten. Mm-hmm. as as it goes on and again mm-hmm. we're wondering where you know what is happening with all this and then we get even a little closer to kind of like a the i'd say the beginning of the gate and then a bigger shot of we get a closer detail of like the tower uh that this thing's in and we see that it almost looks like a church right it's so ridiculously ornate and you really it's like what kind of i don't know about you but like when i see that like you know mega rich people that buy these compounds yeah. and you say what are you what are you going to do with that house? Like, what are you going to do with that house? What are you going to yeah, do with right. 70 rooms? You, right. can't, you can't live in those. So you're immediately just like, all right, what is going on with this guy? And it's just these slow pans and the movie is taking its time. You know, we're not in any real hurry here. It's kind of like, all right. And then we get to this close up of this sort of stained glass window when all of a sudden there's a music cue and the light goes out. Mm-hmm. The light goes out. And mm-hmm. then we get a slow fade up of the, the light coming back on. And Orson Welles would apply a lot of fades, a lot of light fades in this movie. You have to remember, of course, none of this is all done in camera. Right. It's all done live. And you mentioned the matte paintings earlier. Matte paintings is one of those things that like, it is such a lost art. It is. It, it makes me so sad to think that probably most of the matte paintings ever made for movies are, have, were junked. They're just yeah. gone now. That nobody's keeping them anymore. But yeah. I mean, imagine painting something so good that it will hold up blown up on a 70 millimeter screen. That's how good your painting has to be. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's just, an, that's an amazing, uh, like you say, lost art. Um, I always think of, uh, whenever I think of matte paintings, I think of the star Wars films as having yeah. phenomenal, uh, phenomenal mats. So detailed and so incredible. But yeah, this, uh, I, I think Kane goes down as one of the all time greats, uh, just for that, that just, creepy eerie imposing um the character of a castle that we get 
It's, it's just fantastic, fantastic. So then we see a bit of a uh, what we think is a snowstorm happening, and that's a little like, wait a minute, what's going on? And then we get this close up, and it's a hard zoom out. One of the uh, you know initial. Orson Welles showy shots of right. pulling out of this snow globe and yeah. we see that it's a snow globe. It's not a real, uh, it's not a, not a real house. And we see there's a hand and then we get the moment. Uh, one of the famous moments in all of history, of all of cinema history, these close up of these lips, presumably uh, Orson Welles's, although I can't exactly tell, I think it mm-hmm. is, but I can't really tell it's such a close up. And we get Rosebud uh, mm-hmm. done in uh, this echoey sound. And it, it, it's, it's funny because it's, it doesn't, Wells doesn't oversell it. It doesn't sound like somebody dying, really. It's not mm-hmm. like they're going, Rosebud, you know, like that. It's but, just said very matter-of-factly. Mm-hmm. You just, mm-hmm. Rosebud. Like, okay, like this This guy doesn't maybe even know that he's dying necessarily. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then we see the, the this hand fall into the frame. We see him drop the snow globe. It rolls down some steps. And there's an interesting little uh, hiccup here where we see it hit the ground. Mm-hmm. And it, it it cracks, and then like a half beat later, there's an explosion. Mm-hmm. And I always feel it's like was that the prop guys set the charge? Like I, I, I'm assuming they like were detonating it in some small way, and they did it like just a half second late because we see the snow globe hit the ground, crack, and then it explodes. Right. And it's, it's I always a little like wait that's. Why did it pop like that? But I guess it's probably <laughs> the best they could. Maybe they probably destroyed a thousand snow globes, and this is the best take they could get. <laughs> I never even thought about that delay, but you're right. Now I'm going to see it every single time. Sorry. Sorry about it's that. Everyone. I want to ruin it for you. <laughs> so then we get this, uh, then we get a refracted shot of the, oh, the, the glass. Yeah. yeah. Again, I'm, you, you know, I try to imagine what audiences were thinking when they were watching this in 1941 uh-huh. uh just wells just completely throwing you off and said we get this refracted shot of the nurse coming in uh to the room because obviously presumably she's heard something she heard the snow globe and we see mm-hmm. her walk kind of out of frame out of the refracted glass and then we see obviously we learn that the the man in the bed has died and she puts her puts his hands uh puts his hands over his chest in the form oh. that he is dead and then she draws the sheet up over his face. And we only see it through silhouette, through the light coming in through the window. Now, this is obviously something that doesn't make any sense with Citizen Kane and whether it was on purpose or Wells just having fun. But we hear later in the film, of course, his butler says he heard him say Rosebud. But from this shot, we we don't get any sense that there's anybody in the room, that the nurse is coming in. She didn't hear it. So, of course, if no one heard Rosebud then the whole conceit of the movie doesn't make any sense because right. how does anybody know that he said Rosebud? Exactly. Yeah, that's just one of those mysteries, I guess. But, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've wondered about that for uh, for more years than I care to say now. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I part of me thinks Wells did it on purpose. It's just I'm, like, I'm oh, sure. to hell with it. Who cares? Sure, it doesn't yeah, matter. He's just a trickster. Yeah. What are you going to yeah. do, go to movie jail? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, what's the difference? Um, so then we get a slow fade down back and the lights go back. And then, bang, another hard cut. And, of course, mm-hmm. Wells having come from radio, master of audio, Mm -hmm. uh, bang, we get this news on the march. And it's, you know, the trumpets are playing and it's yada, yada, yada. And of course that voice is, uh, it's uncredited, but is that is William Allen who will play Mr. Thompson in this movie. He had this great, he kind of looked a little, if you've ever seen him, he had sort of like a nerdlinger kind of look to him, but he had this incredible voice. He did have a great voice. So we get this series of, 
uh, news footage of uh, talking about. And this is, of course, what, ha- you know, this is something that, um, you know, moviegoers would have been familiar with in 1940. It was the newsreel mm-hmm. in front of movies. Uh, can you remember when you when you saw this, do you remember watching this opening sequence and feeling like, what? What, what is that? What am I watching? Well, absolutely, because I, I was like, I was, um, I was aware that that newsreels were a thing, but I had, I don't think I'd ever seen one, mm-hmm. so I didn't, I didn't have that kind of uh, of context and that kind of background, and it's, it's, it's bizarre, you know, if, if you don't really know what you're, you know, what they are, it's a really strange, and it's a nine minute clip. I mean, this goes on for a, a this is like at one point I remember thinking, is this the movie? <laughs> because this. is... <laughs> Weird. That would have been great if the whole movie was just a, just a news footage. I would have loved it just as much, probably. I don't know. But some some cool context about that. Um, I, you know, I think that sometimes we make too much of the Hearst connection. Like, I, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe sometimes we, uh, um, you know, while obviously it, it's there in a big way, I think maybe we attribute a little more of the movie to, uh, to a, a conscious um, effort to make a, a kind of a disguised you know, biography than, than there really was. But, um, you know, Hearst was a huge newsreel guy. Like he, uh, he kind of helped develop the format of, of the newsreel. Um, he produced hundreds, literally hundreds of newsreels. Uh, I think it's UCLA has his, has the collection and it's, I'm wanting to say it's something like 27 million feet of film. Holy jeez. Of Hearst newsreels. Yeah. And he started out with, with silence and then moved into, uh, to, to sound. So there's kind of, that's just to me, kind of an interesting sort of layer of background there, you know, that, that, that um, that this newsreel is such a huge, um, huge part of the film, but, uh, I don't know. Have you heard the story? Obviously it's, um, it, it's sort of not really a parody, but sort of, a um, an alternate, you know, reality version of, of an actual series, which was, uh, uh, what was it? March of Time was that? The I believe thing? so. Yeah, it's a parody of the Time style, which is this backwards. Yeah. It's almost like you talk. It's like Yoda. It's kind mm-hmm. of everything's all backwards. And and Xanadu did Kublai Khan, a stately president. I mean, of course, that's from 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 Kipling. But right. the, the the style is everything is like the nouns are at the end of the sentence. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, and it's a, it's a very it is a straight up sort of parody of what the, the people a style people were familiar with. And and the, the story is that the uh, they tried to get the actual narrator of that series to do it, but he wanted something like twenty five grand, and they were like, "Screw that! We'll just get William Allen to do it." Great <laughs> <have that> voice. <laughs> so you know, it's 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 hard to know. There are so many of these stories about Susan Kane, and it's so hard to know how many um, to kind of separate fact from fiction with this movie because uh, you know Wells didn't help with that very much. He was no. he was very you know he was absolutely condemned to uh, to sort of um, spread. Uh, not outright falsehoods, but to sort of, you know, allow these rumors to breathe, <laughs> I mm-hmm. guess. Like he did not mind um, mythologizing himself and his film to, to some extent. So it's very hard to go back and to, to figure out like which of these stories are real and which are just kind of apocryphal, uh, you know, sort of part of the myth of this, um, this movie that, that has you know developed over, over decades now. Yeah, I mean, he could have very clearly uh, said when when it was brought up, you know, was this Hearst? He could have definitively said, no, it's not Hearst. He but he kind of refused to do that. He sort right. of obliquely would say it. And, of course, people yeah. people mistake inspiration for – people think just because something was an inspiration that it's about that thing. Exactly. And that's not – that. I mean, we're all inspired by a million different things, and it's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you could just – yeah, clearly – it's, I mean, part of it, it's sort of funny the sort of the way they reverse engineer this movie about saying it's an attack on Hearst and it's an attack on 
Marion Davies. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Except they're saying, you know, Orson Welles was really mean to Marion Davies because in this movie, Dorothy Cummingworth, who's an Oliver character, is not talented. And Marion Davies was talented. And they're like, well, mm-hmm. that's why it's so, you know, one of the reasons Hearst didn't like it is that it was so vicious. And Welles' defense was, well, that that's that's what I'm saying. It's not about Hearst. Exactly. That, yeah. Yes, it's inspired. It's about an older guy who's got a younger girlfriend. But mm-hmm. we're not parroting it directly. And so, yeah, it's the inspiration, but it's not, it's, this is not a Hearst biography picture. Exactly. It's yeah. an inspiration. And that's the way it goes. I love, I, I never knew that the Kane reached out, Kane, I'm going to do this a lot over the course of the show. <laughs> Wells reached out to the actual guy. That's really funny. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a great Wellsian. T- and again, very unusual for a movie in 1940 to reach out to the real guy. Yeah. That's, some, that's something we're familiar with now where you mm-hmm. get, you know, newscast, you know, you have like, you know, back, you know, like Wolf Blitzer appearing in some movie mm-hmm. playing Wolf Blitzer. Right. Uh, but, but in 1941, that was still pretty unusual to do. And that would, again, that would have messed with people's heads. It would have, it would have absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's good. <laughs> that's fantastic. So yeah, they've got these opening and you get this booming voice and talking about the, the greatness of Xanadu. And of course, you know, again, this is sort of a, a take on uh, Hearst's San Simeon mm-hmm. complex, which he had down in Florida. And we're seeing all these buildings. And it's kind of interesting is that some of the shots, I think, and again, it's, it's got to be partly on, on Wells' point of view. It's like uh, on purpose is that like some of these shots don't match. Uh, right, so, you know, some of the architecture like does not match. So you're clearly, these are not the same building, but it doesn't yeah. matter. Some of them came from, uh, from a castle in New York. Some came from, uh, from <laughs> I think, San Diego. Like I think the San Diego Zoo is, is some of the, the, the zoo shots are from there. Um, there was an expo, like a, uh, God, I forget the name of it. There was some, some big expo that was, um, going down in, in California, uh, in the San Diego area that, um, like the California Panama Expo or something like that. Mm-hmm. Got, got, took some footage from that. So it was just sort of this hodgepodge of, but yeah, it's absolutely not the same location in, in yeah. any, in, in any way, shape or form. Which, yeah. Which kind of just makes it fun. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. they didn't even try. It's kind of great. And so we will see uh, over the course of this footage, there's one of like, uh, then we see them building uh, Xanadu and we see all these workers and we see that the film uh, has got all these splices and scratches mm-hmm. in it. And mm-hmm. ac- according to legend, that was the idea of the editor, Robert Wise. Of course, Robert Wise would go on to one of the great directing careers of all time, but he mm-hmm. worked as an editor here. Apparently they literally took the they they couldn't have taken the the original negative he wouldn't have done that but took the the print of it and dragged it out in the parking lot <laughs> to get it scratched to make it look like actual newsreel footage which again is you're really futzing with people's brains because you people in 1941 now i don't want to keep saying people not, not like people in 1940 were like you know cavemen who didn't understand things but nevertheless this was not something you saw in movies this kind of ultra realistic thing where you're 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 messing with the sort of the meta text of the movie because you're like well wait a minute why is all this film scratched that wouldn't make any sense and this is a brand new movie well they're trying to make it feel like this is real footage and obviously some of this is just stock footage Mm -hmm. from other things there's the shot of like the four horses with their heads out of the barn they're all looking at the same time (laughs) they're strapped and it kind of makes me think that a lot of this stock footage was shot by some hard-working nebbish somewhere and they may not know it, but like they might, there's, there's probably people out there that got to say, Hey, one of my shots is in Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's crazy. Yeah. And, but you know, people really like literally hadn't seen these techniques um, before, like, you know, Wells kind of 
inserting himself into this archival footage and that kind of thing like that had had that i don't think that had been done before no right? no like i think this was the kind of the the the, uh, the uber example of of that yeah. Oh, I said it's it's again. It's a crazy beginning. I also love after the shot of the horses, we get the shot when the the voiceover of the creatures of the sea. There's a shot of an octopus. Yeah, that's my favorite. We, that is my favorite moment from that. Oh <laughs> man, it's like you bonkers octopus shot. Oh, I would love to know what movie that's from. Like what what <laughs> shot he cribbed of a giant octopus from? It it makes me think of Bell Lugosi, you know, from the Ed Wood thing. You know, running yeah. around in the like. We're running around, Abella, make it look like it's killing you. You know, it's just like, oh my God, that's great. So we see these donkeys getting carted and then we see there's an aviary and all these birds and we see the, these faraway shots of this just massive, massive compound, mm-hmm. uh, absurdly ornate as it's going on and on explaining about uh, the, the greatness of uh, Xanadu. There's, there's a Cupid statue. Uh, we see there's this massive pond and there's even the, the line about uh, at cost, no man can say. And then we get this title card in Xanadu last week was held 1941's biggest, strangest funeral. And that that's that style you're talking about where it's like in Xanadu last week was held. People don't talk like that. We don't, you don't, you don't say it like that, but that was the style at the time. Yeah. 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 We get said, we get this. And then we get into the, you know, we see, obviously we learned Kane is uh, dead. And then the five minutes ends with this footage of our main character being brought out in a coffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, outside of, uh, what, Sunset Boulevard? I can't think of too many movies that open with our main character dead. That's yep. just a bold choice. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're, we, that's where the five minutes ends is, is, uh, is the funeral. And it's again, it's just, Wells is not holding your hand here. I mean, he is in that he's explaining the whole plot of the, not the plot, but the whole life of this guy mm-hmm. in the opening minutes of the movie. But mm-hmm. yet you are just like, you're, you have to think, where are we going here if the movie's opening with the guy dying? Yeah. What the, what's this movie? And if you have a pretty, you know, a pretty solid um, concept of, of the big beats of his life, 10 minutes in. Yeah. That's that's pretty fantastic. Um, and, of course, that's sort of the conceit of the film is that the, the film drills down on these little kind of micro moments uh you know, where, where the kind of the details are as opposed yeah. to the big, you know, like there are so many things that, that are mentioned in that newsreel that we never hear about again, you know, like, yep. you know, all the other things that he did, all his other holdings, all his other, um, you know, enterprises, you know, those never even come up, you know, it's a movie very specifically about a newspaper man. Um, even though that was just kind of one facet of, of you know, this unbelievable empire that, that he built. So I kind of love that that this newsreel is just a way to sort of, you know, like, yep, you know, this is a thing, and then that's it. And, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't hear about it again. I, I think that's kind of a, a really terrific, creative way of dealing with them, kind of, you know, giving the audience kind of some background info, you know, some things that are important to know but aren't necessarily important to the, the story that right, right. that Wells is going to tell. And, and Mankiewicz, not just Wells, but the, uh, uh, his, his co-writer – who, uh, you know, there's obviously been some very famous uh, disagreements about who, uh, who wrote what and, and how much of, you know, how much of the script is, is, um, should be attributed to Wells versus Mankiewicz. Uh, of course, I think they, they have pretty much decided that it was very much an equal, um, enterprise between the two. Yeah. 
Yeah, I said it's it's a gutsy way to open a movie. Uh, I think it would be gutsy now, and to think that this was in 1941 is just uh, pretty amazing. So one last thing I want to mention, I didn't say it at the time, the actress playing the nurse who does not get a line, I looked her up. Her name is Renee Godfrey. She died in 1964. Uh, she actually had a bunch of great credits. She was in Inherit the Wind, really? uh, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. She's in that movie. She I was in. Heard. Yeah, she is. Uh, have you seen Inherit the Wind? I, yeah, I have. It's been it's been a minute, but yeah, I've seen that. That's an phenomenal when, movie. Just fantastic. When, and that I live in in an area, you know, where that that story. For the right, heart, right. For, for people who don't know, I live in that in in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. So that's um, not very far from uh, you know from where all that that went down. That's yep. actually when we. Um, there's a, a road trip that we used to make back when when you know people could leave their their houses, and uh, we uh, we would pass <laughs> house uh, very very frequently. So yeah. Yeah, she's uh, in that movie when they the, there's the scene where they talk about the boy that died, and he's the Stebbins boy. She uh-huh. is the mother of the Stebbins boy. Interesting. Uh, yeah, she doesn't get a line of that movie, which uh, unfortunately, but but nevertheless, she's in that movie. She was in uh, Terror by Night, the uh, the uh, Sherlock Holmes movie, and she was in shows like Perry Mason, Wagon Train, and Alfred Hitchcock Presents. So she had a pretty decent career. Good for her. Again, I would imagine if you're any actor that had even three frames in Citizen Kane, you could dine out on that. Yeah, 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 I yeah. was in Citizen yeah. Kane. I was yeah. in Citizen Kane. I mean, that's a yeah. that's a hell of a credit to have on on your on your resume. So absolutely, yeah. So uh, so that's the first five minutes of Citizen Kane. I mean, again, there's is the way that Wells is going to fill in. You, like you just mentioned, like it, all this stuff has nothing to do with the plot, but we are getting background that is going to be sort of in the back of our mind as we go through these events. We're going to go, oh, that's this. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's this. Oh, right. okay, that's what they're talking about. And he's going to. He's going to lead all that in. And again, it's a brilliant way, whether it's Wells' conception or Mankiewicz, I'm going to say probably Mankiewicz, a brilliant way to open the movie. And so, mm-hmm. and again, and it features one of the iconic people that have never seen Citizen Kane know what Rosebud is. Everyone just knows what that scene is. So, yeah. so uh, I mean, April, I mean, wow. Thank you so much for coming by and talking to the first, with the first, uh, the first five minutes of Citizen Kane with me. This is, uh, this is just a, a blast. It's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And it was, it gave me an excuse to watch the movie again, which, uh, you know, one of, one of the rare movies I've watched in the past year and that I actually watched all the way through in one sitting. It was amazing. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for, for motivating me to actually uh, make time to sit down and, and watch and uh, watch a movie in its entirety. That was a, a super cool. <laughs> what a treat. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you uh, tell people where they can find you on the internet? Um, you can go to aprilsnellings.com. Um, I, I keep a pretty detailed website. Um, I'm also on uh, Twitter and Facebook, just as uh, April Snellings on Twitter and April Snellings Writer on Facebook. And, uh, you know, I'm writing for uh, Middle Floss these days, so kind of keep an eye on that space. I have a, a comic book coming out. Um, hopefully we'll be in shops this year. Everything kind of got, got screwy, but, um, yep. yeah, a lot of things going on. Absolutely. You always do. So uh, outstanding. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Of course, you can find this show over on Twitter at CKane Minute. You can find the episodes and our trailer. And uh, we might be doing some bonus shows here and there over the course of uh, the show's run over at the website, findwaterpodcast.com. Please leave a comment. Let me know what you thought about this first episode of Citizen Kane Minute. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher. I have to thank Alex Robinson and Pete the Retailer who created the Movie by Minutes uh, format and are very generously allow people to use it. You can see all the Movies by Minutes shows over at moviebyminutes.com. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, 
Just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So if you really love Citizen Kane Minute, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast and contribute, and you can get mentioned here. So that's going to do it for now. Come back next week for more Citizen Kane Minute. What's the real truth about Charles Foster Kane? I wish you'd come to this theater when Citizen Kane plays here and decide for yourself.